Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Does your doctor still recommend that you avoid foods that raise your cholesterol and eat a lot of whole grains? Or maybe your doctor's told you to exercise more so you'll lose some needed weight and drink slim milk because it's less fattening? If you have high blood pressure, is your doctor recommending you cut back on salt? We have Dr. Ken Berry with us today, who says your doctor is wrong about these common medical myths and many more. His book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, is an eye-opener. Don't go anywhere. We'll be digging into the truth, and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a family physician, speaker, and best-selling author. He's a board-certified in family medicine and has been awarded the degree of fellow by the American Academy of Family Physicians. After treating over 20,000 patients during his career, he realized that many chronic diseases are caused by the standard American diet and a lifestyle that needs changing. He's on a mission to turn the tide on the epidemic of chronic inflammatory diseases, type 2 diabetes, obesity, depression, and dementia. Welcome to the show, author of Lies My Doctor Told Me, Dr. Ken Berry. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, so great to have you with us. I've been looking forward to this interview. First, what inspired you, a medical doctor, to write a book on lies that medical doctors are telling their patients? Well, various and sundry little things that I was taught in medical school just didn't make sense to me at the time. And, and you're well aware, you don't really have a, a lot of time for independent research right. when you're a medical student. You're a little busy. And so uh, I kind of filed those things away for further investigation later on. And I can tell you the very first lie that, that really stuck out to me, like, there's no way that's true, but I don't have time to verify that right now. If you want right. to talk about that one, that kind of sets the stage for everything, I think. Yeah, go ahead. I got a few myths we want to bust. Start, start with uh, the most popular. Okay. So the one that really woke me up, so to speak. I was a uh, either a fourth-year medical student or, or an intern, and I was on my obstetrics rotation. And so we would spend the night on call delivering babies and, and assisting in C-sections. Then the next morning, we would send home all of the vaginal births who didn't have surgery or any complications. We would write their discharge orders. Right. My chief resident on the, on the rotation said, don't forget, Dr. Berry, to write the vitamin D drops for the babies that are exclusively breastfed. And I said, vitamin D drops, what are you talking about? And he said, well, humans don't produce vitamin D in their breast milk. And so if you don't give these babies vitamin D drops, they'll develop rickets, and we don't want that. So write them the vitamin D drop prescription. And, and so immediately my, my, you know, my BS meter went off like, humans don't make vitamin D in their breast milk? That's weird. But I, obviously, I was a you know I was the lowest man on the totem pole, so I did what I was told, and I thought I'm going to look that up later. Turns right. out later was about three years later uh, when I finally caught my breath in my third year of residency, and I looked this up. And if a human mother is deficient in vitamin D, then indeed she does not produce any meaningful amount of vitamin D in her breast milk for her baby, and her baby will develop rickets. But you can just your common sense mind. You can immediately say, "Yeah, but what about fifty thousand years ago? There was no you couldn't go to the corner drugstore and buy vitamin D drops back then. How come we're not extinct as a species? How did we get by back then?" Well, it turns out that if you give a mother sixty four hundred units of vitamin D 
both from sunlight and from her diet, she makes more than enough vitamin D for her baby. But And so there's several ways we could kind of unpackage this lie, depending on how which way right. you want to go. But suffice it to say, if a woman is getting plenty of vitamin D in her diet and getting plenty of sunlight, she's going to make all the vitamin D her baby needs if she's breastfeeding, and she doesn't have to give the baby vitamin D drops at all. Wow, that is interesting. I'm wondering, you know, as I was reading your book, which I enjoyed, why do you think so many MDs have this tunnel vision when it comes to thinking outside the box like you do, and they fail to acknowledge a more common-sense approach to treating their patients? I'm not sure why that is, and that's one of the things that spurred me to write the book, is I think that there are there is a small percentage of doctors who are forward-thinking and, and just naturally tend to think outside the box, but a large percentage of, of practitioners, both doctors, advanced practice nurses, midwives, and physician assistants, they just do as they're told. And I think that that can wind up being dangerous and or expensive for their patients. And so you either wind up taking a medication that you don't need at all that costs you money, or you wind up taking a medication that costs you money and can also endanger your health. Right. And so uh, I, I tend to naturally just be a guy that thinks outside the box. And my favorite word in the world is why why is that why do you say that why is that and a lot of doctors that that question doesn't come readily to their lips and that's really who the book's for yeah i know in chapter eight of your book you share a method i also expose in my book so i was happy to see that exercise is great but it doesn't help us lose weight tell us why we can't outrun our fork so there's a common superstition in nutrition and medicine uh, that we uh, give the abbreviation CICO, calories in, calories out. Right. And so an uninformed, unthinking doctor will tell their patients, look, it's simple. If you want to lose weight, just burn more calories than you eat. Another way of saying this is eat, eat less, move more, right? All these things right. basically mean the same thing, that if you run a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. And so there's so many things wrong with that. It would take hours to discuss it thoroughly, but... Basically, hormones in your body are in charge of when you lose fat. And that we, none of us want to lose muscle. We don't want to lose bone or brain or liver. We want to lose fat. And in order to lose fat, you have to hack your hormones, both your hunger hormones and the hormones that run your metabolism, and right. convince those hormones, hey, I, it's okay. There's not a famine. I want to lose some fat. And your hormones are happy to kick the machinery into gear to burn the fat that you have stored on your on your booty, on your belly, or other places. Right. But you cannot run on a treadmill enough to burn fat. And there's actually very large, well-done medical studies that show this without, there's no question, there's no doubt about this. But if a doctor believes in the calorie-in, calorie-out superstition, then that doctor will say, oh, you want to lose some weight? Join Weight Watchers and join the gym. And that's a great way to waste a lot of money, waste a lot of time, uh, spend all of your energy that you had saved up for this task and get no results whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I'll share something interesting to back that up. You know, I've interviewed some of the leading exercise and fitness gurus on my show, Denise Austin, Donovan Green, who doc, who's Dr. Oz, personal trainer, Joe Cardiello, the fit, fitness celebrity trainer. I asked them the same question. What percentage of losing weight is exercise versus diet? Surprisingly, they all agree weight loss is 80% diet and only 20% exercise. And Doc, considering these folks do this for a living, that was pretty rather profound. They have exercise as a living and they say, eh. It's only minor. You got to watch your diet, right? 
Yeah, and I'm proud of them for saying that, but I actually believe it's more like 95% uh, your diet and 5% exercise. And the reason I say that is I have several uh, patients in my practice who are uh-huh. paraplegic and one who's a quadriplegic who had some fat to lose. They started eating the pro- what I call the proper human diet. Right. And these guys are, you know, they're, they're confined to a wheelchair. And so exercise is pretty much off the table for them. They were still able to lose meaningful amounts of fat with no exercise whatsoever. And so I think if you're eating the proper human diet, it, it hacks all of your hormones, hunger and otherwise, and you just start to burn fat. Wow. Interesting. And there's one myth you bust in your book that's still being told by most MDs. Eating popcorn, nuts, and seeds irritates the colon and can flare up diverticulitis. Is this not true? Yeah. Yeah, it's complete and utter foolishness. First of all, uh, nuts and seeds are a normal part of our ancestral diet for as many years as you believe that Homo sapiens sapiens has been on this planet. And so... I kind of go by uh, uh, a little quotation from Carl Sagan. He said, if you come to me with an extraordinary claim, then you better have extraordinary evidence to back that up. And I think that applies to every branch of science, including medicine and nutrition. And so if you come to me saying, you know, nuts and seeds are bad for people, they'll, they'll cause flare-ups of diverticulitis, immediately you better have some compelling evidence to right. prove that, or you're, just, you're, you're talking foolishness. And indeed, there, there was a very large, well-done study done, done and published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and I have a link to it in, at the end of that chapter in the book, that shows that actually nuts and seeds are quite protective against flare-ups of diverticulitis. What actually increases your risk of having diverticulitis flare-ups is smoking, being obese, and eating a lot of processed food. Those are the things that are associated with diverticulitis, Nuts and seeds are actually have a negative association with it. Yet every well-meaning, a good-intentioned doctor will tell someone with diverticulosis, you better avoid nuts and seeds or it'll cause a flare-up of diverticulitis. Even the preeminent gastroenterologist in Nashville, which is the nearest metropolitan city to my practice, still, every time a patient comes back from seeing that gastroenterologist, I have to say, no, no, here's the study. Nuts and seeds have nothing to do with your gastro your diverticulitis, and so I, I I would hope that after you know I've been practicing for 20 years now, uh, and so that gastroenterologist and I have kind of shared the same turf for a long time, but he still insists on telling people avoid nuts and seeds or it'll cause a flare-up. Yeah, we get stuck in this uh, hamster wheel there, and it's like they they don't they don't jump off of it. And one thing you mentioned is is your cholesterol. Share your opinion. Is it's still considered the precursor to heart disease and stroke? Any truth to that? No, there's no truth to that whatsoever. There's no meaningful research that proves that having uh, cholesterol total cholesterol higher than 200 is going to increase your risk of heart attack or stroke in any way. The the human body uses cholesterol. The human body makes about 3,000 milligrams worth of cholesterol every single day of your life. Uh, The human body doesn't tend to make things that are poison for it or bad for it. And so that would be obviously a a very ignorant thing for the human body to do. And one of the kind of the the bedrock uh, foundations of my whole philosophy about medicine and nutrition is that the human body is very ancient. It's very wise. It's very smart. It doesn't do stupid things. It, and so if a doctor or a nutritionist or a dietitian or, or any kind of healthcare practitioner thinks that, oh, the human body's doing this stupid thing, I've got to give this person a pill 
to protect them from the stupid thing the human body's doing or whatever, immediately your red flag should go up all over the place. And the same goes for, for a, a food that's been part of the human diet for tens of thousands of years. And now say, oh, that food's bad for you. You should avoid that. Immediately you should go, wait a minute, where's the research for that? Because you're, you're treading on ridiculous ground. If you oh, say yeah. that a, a healthy human body is doing something stupid or dangerous or that a, an ancestrally appropriate food for human beings is now bad for us. I know. I've been hearing it. get so many questions. I cannot eat beans anymore and tomatoes and eggplants. They have lectins. And I'm like, no, like you just said, thousands of years. All of a sudden now this person writes a book and these things are toxic. I don't know. That, that, my opinion is. I love beans. I'm not going without them. So, you know, that's just one thing. Yeah, and I think there are some people who can eat beans and tomatoes and and nightshades and and do just fine. Other people who are very sensitive need to avoid those. I mean, there are some people who can eat, you know, gluten-containing breads and seemingly do well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then there are also some people who get very, very sick if they eat the smallest amount of gluten. And so I think that we have to go on a case-by-case basis for this. If you have the DNA and the gut microbiome and you can you can adjust and adapt and eat lectins and nightshades and, and, and plant matter like that, then I think it's probably fine. But there are some of us who need to avoid those for right. our optimal health. But it's not all or nothing. Like you just said, some people can, can process that as well. It's like, you know, all the grains are off limits and, and, and tomatoes. And as well, you know, how do you explain the people in the Mediterranean diet that are healthy that eat a lot of tomatoes? So, you know, like I said, I don't have an issue when I eat tomatoes, but maybe there is some. Tell us about your opinion on milk. I know you, you mentioned that it, skim milk isn't less fattening. And I know doctors always say cut back, go with skim milk if you're trying to lose weight. Why is that false? Yeah, this is another ridiculous thing. And so this this goes back to the calorie in, calorie out superstition of weight loss. And so skim milk has fewer calories than whole milk because you took the fat out. And in in my practice and in my personal opinion, the fat is the only good thing about dairy. And so uh, skim milk is, is actually the worst form of dairy that you can get, skim milk or fat-free dairy. It's like, what's the point? At that point, you've taken out everything meaningful. Why would you even eat the dairy or drink the dairy at that point? So uh, skim milk has had all the fat removed. So all you have left is the lactose, which is the sugar, and the proteins, which for many humans are quite inflammatory. Uh, Some of us have developed a gene that helps us break down the lactose and and not be too inflamed by the the dairy proteins. Some of us can't break that down at all and we immediately have gut inflammation we can have joint inflammation we can have brain fog and other things if we ingest too much dairy and so in my personal diet i try i only try to to eat full fat dairy if i eat it or drink it at all and then typically i'll just stick with butter ghee, maybe some heavy cream and then Mm -hmm. full fat real cheese not cheese from the dairy section but cheese from the deli where they actually slice the cheese off a huge block for you Right. Tell us about salt. I know the other thing, the first thing a doctor will tell his patient after being diagnosed with high blood pressure is reduce the salt content. Is there any research to back that up? I haven't seen a shred of research to back that up, and I've been looking for about 20 years now. So <laughs> human beings are mammals. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Human beings, just like all other mammals, need lots of salt for optimal function. If you take a a needle and prick your finger right now and taste your own blood, it's very salty. 
it's salty for a reason. It's not salty because you're a glutton and you've eaten too much salt. The cells in the human body, from the neurons in your brain to the skin cells in your, in your pinky toe, have to have a certain level of salt in your bloodstream or in your serum to function properly. Low salt uh, diets became the fad. They became a superstition that was believed by many healthcare providers back in the 50s and 60s, and then it really came to a head in the 70s and 80s. And it's it, it's a disastrous diet. It makes people feel terrible. Mm-hmm. They hate their diet if it's a low sodium diet. And it actually there's there's several research studies that show that a low sodium diet, even in people with advanced heart failure causes them to have worse outcomes, not better outcomes. And so there's just no research to back this superstition up at all, yet doctors every day and even cardiologists will repeat this this lie, it's what I call it in the book, saying you've got to cut the salt out of your diet, you've got to get rid of the sodium, you've got to eat a low-sodium diet, or you're going to raise your blood pressure, or you're going to cause your heart failure to get worse, and none of that's true. Yeah, and common sense. We're we're what sixty seventy percent water, and it's salt water. That's why when we cry our tears are right. salty. So it's like common sense is salt bad. It's what we're made out of. And that's where you know just forget all the exactly. science. It's, it's what we're made out of. Without it, we die. We need it in our body. So I'm with you on that one. Let me ask you this. I know fewer subjects out there raise more controversy and heated opinions than food politics. We've got the plant based versus the paleo debate. It's pretty much diverse, like Republicans and Democrats now. What side are you? On, do you think we should eat like a gorilla or eat meat like our caveman ancestors? Well, since our gastrointestinal system is very different from the GI system of a gorilla, I don't think we should mimic a gorilla's diet. Mm-hmm. A gorilla has a very large colon, colon, a very large cecum. Their stomach acidity is not nearly as acidic as our stomach pH is. And so we, our, our digestive system is very different from a gorilla. So I don't think we should eat what a gorilla eats, which is a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, gorilla, gorillas have to eat pounds and pounds of, of plant-based matter every day in order to feed their body. They basically have to eat all day long. Uh, human beings didn't evolve to do that. We, have, we evolved to fast for many hours or even several days. And then when we made a kill, we would gorge on the fatty meat. And there's actually very, very good paleoanthropological evidence when you check the carbon and nitrogen stable isotopes in bones 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 years ago. Human beings basically ate as much fatty meat as we could get our hands on. That was, that was, the, that was the go-to meal. If we couldn't get fatty meat, then we would eat some veg. And so that's what the human brain is built on is eating lots of fatty meat and maybe a little veg if you want to or need to but the plant-based uh diet people out there i think they're very well meaning and they're very they're quite earnest in their beliefs but they're just wrong right what's your opinion on coffee that's another controversial topic does java get a dr berry thumbs down or the seal of approval (laughs) i i personally love coffee uh the medical researchers have been trying to prove that coffee is bad for human beings right. for decades. And we can't even prove that it's bad for, for a pregnant woman or for children. We can't, we can't find any research that proves it. And so we have to say, we say things like, well, try to limit it to one or two cups a day. But if you ask the doctor, well, what do you base that on, doc? What, where's the research that shows that I should limit it to one or two cups a day? 
there's no there's no research that proves that. And uh, coffee is very contentious. It gets kind of into morality and religion a little bit for some right. people. But you would think if there was any compelling research out there, a doctor who says limit your, your caffeine or limit your coffee, limit your tea, they would have a research study at hand that they could print out and hand to you if you questioned them. But that research just doesn't exist. I think we've only been drinking coffee for the last few thousand years, not many at all. Uh, and, you know, chewing on the coca leaf and, and using the coffee beans that we found. I don't think it's an ancestrally appropriate food that we've been using for 100,000 years, but I just can't find any research that shows that it's bad for you. So it gets a Dr. Barry thumbs up. Plus thumbs I love up. It. Yeah. What about people that just, you know, they're so gullible, they say, oh, I'm just going to do what the government's food pyramid tells me. How, how reliable oh. is our government telling us what we should and shouldn't oh. eat? <laughs> Please, please don't listen to the federal government of any country when it comes to your nutrition. Uh, I go into detail about the food pyramid in that chapter in the book. Basically, the, the federal government, they started out trying to do a good job. And then when they were finished with the food pyramid, they handed it to the big agricultural uh, firms, right? right? And they changed it in multiple different ways. They increased the dairy intake. They increased the, the grains intake. And then gave it back to the federal government, and the federal government published it as the food pyramid. And that's the famous pyramid that has 6 to 11 servings of grains a day. There, that's based on no research whatsoever. And then, of course, if the federal government recommends dairy, they're going to want you to drink low-fat or stem dairy. Right. Again, based on no research whatsoever. And you know as well as I do that when the food pyramid came out and was published, that's really when the obesity epidemic in the United States really took off. Right. That's so true. Yeah, good information. The last minute we have, is there any other lies our doctor may be telling us that we haven't covered? Uh, I think the, the biggest lie out there in the media and that your doctor may be saying now is you need to avoid red meat mm -hmm. because it will increase your risk of cancer. And definitely you should avoid processed meat because that will increase your risk of colon cancer and other things. There's zero evidence to back this up. The World Health Organization, they talk about 400 studies that, that air quotes prove that, but they've only published two or three studies so far. All of those studies are epidemiological studies in which they use food frequency questionnaires. It's basically a survey right. that they did years and years ago, and now they're trying to crunch this data and make a meaningful conclusion out of it. First of all, epidemiological studies can only show associations. They never prove that something caused another thing. So these studies on their face don't prove anything. Secondly, the association they show with either red meat or processed meat is a very tenuous, very weak association, not at all like the association between smoking and lung cancer. That's a very strong, mm -hmm. hardy association. It's really hard to argue with it. But the association between red meat and heart disease or processed meat and, and colon cancer, it's silly. There's, you, you can effectively say there's no research that shows any causation whatsoever. And so I think people should enjoy their ribeye and enjoy their salami and their pastrami. Wow. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and busting some of these common medical myths. I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners' eyes popped open with a few, quite a few of them, and as did mine. To learn more, I get your copy of Lies My, Do Lies My Doctor Told Me, Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health. Go to 
KenBerryMD.com. And while there, be sure and check out his video library and his informative articles. And you can follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KenBerryMD. And for my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Berry share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at ToYourGoodHealthRadio.com or RadioMD.com and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.